Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Best Athletics Podcast. This is episode number six. I am Nick Bester, the founder of Best Athletics. And um, yeah, I'm conscious it's been quite a few weeks since our last episode. Life's been just a little crazy. We've been super, super busy. Um, I've personally been training um, for Berlin Marathon and a sub-220 attempt that's coming up soon. Um, things have been busier than ever at the club with it being the big half recently. Um, but I'm excited to announce the guest joining me today is the first full-time employee at Best Athletics, well, apart from me. Um, she's made such a massive difference since coming in. And um, welcome, Amy Walker. Hi, it's so great to finally be on the podcast. As a lot of my work so far has been behind the scenes, so it's really great to be on my first ever podcast with Best Athletics and Nick. So I'm Amy and I've been a Best Athletics member now since last August when I first moved to London from a small town in North Devon. So before even thinking about moving to London, I knew of Best Athletics already via Instagram. So it really just shows the power of social media and how it just came up naturally on my feed. Like sometimes after sessions, like when I've been training with a my group back in North Devon, I'd sit and scroll and look at Best Athletics, just wishing I had like a running community like that near me, just full of all the energy, all the vibes and just like-minded people. And most importantly, the cool kit, which really stood out to me, just like the cool colours, blue and white. So yeah, really happy to be part of the club and a full-time employee, which is amazing. It's amazing the power of social media and um, like how you get to find out about things. And I mean, you know, in my case, I'm coaching quite a few international runners and I, a lot of them I haven't met before. But when I do get the chance to meet a lot of them, it's almost as if I know them so well. So, yeah, we live in a day and age where everything is just so connected. And even when you meet people at races for the first time that you've been chatting to via social media in different parts of the world, it's almost as if you know them so well. So very cool that's uh how you got to know about best athletics and here you are a few months later um do you want to just give us a little bit of, of background into your running journey and and where you are at, at the moment yeah of course so since like such a young age I've always just loved sport being active never like sitting down just always wanting to be up and about and it's exploring um so I was always part of all the school sport teams um and actually at when I was young growing up my main sport was golf which is really surprising and I'd, I'd play for Southwest England spending hours and hours practicing out on the golf course and my favorite part of playing golf was actually just with my brother-in-law just hitting the ball and walking and jogging to the next shot so it actually wasn't how much under par I could go it was more how fast I could complete 18 holes <laughs> rather than anything else um, and I kind of just fell out of love with the sport so I decided to take my passion into running so from like the age of 16 I joined my local athletics club in North Devon and was just absolutely hooked on track track Tuesday track Thursday just loved it would go there on a Saturday sometime as well um, and just loved training hard and so I'd say my running journey has definitely been a roller coaster with lots of periods of time out of the sport with different illnesses and injury um, but I feel like I'm finally back running absolutely loving it with best athletics and most importantly stronger and I feel like now my focus has become more of performance based rather than just for just to find the love of it, which I've definitely found again um, and just see where I can take my running, really. Uh, I've got Copenhagen this weekend. So, yeah, really excited for that. Um, yeah, really good. And it's great to have Nick as my coach, too. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's amazing how like we all got such a competitive side to us. 
And um, as you know, I, I absolutely love golf as well. So I think I always say when I've peaked at running or my running days are over, <laughs> then it's going to be back to the golf course. But uh, I mean, I can probably picture myself doing park run at, at 80 years old or something like that. Um, but yeah, you know what? Um, speaking from me as your coach, um, you've had a phenomenal year so far. You've PB'd in pretty much almost all the races that you've done. And, um, you know, let's go into Copenhagen pressure free. You've put the work in. It's an, it's an awesome half marathon. And, um, yeah, wishing you all the best. You definitely deserve a, a PB. You're in shape and you've put in a lot of good work. Um, okay, so back to the best athletics world. We've recently launched our new best athletics Adidas kit. And uh, it was oh, very, very well received, to say the least. Uh, it was a long time in the pipeline. And, um, you know, getting things like that across the line is no easy task, especially uh, in an organization the size of Adidas, um, where there's numerous contact people. But I am super stoked to, you know, for us to have got it across the line. It came out even better than I expected, and I expected a lot from it. Um, and then, yeah, since then, we realized, um, you know, the kit's been so well re reviewed and received, and, you know, people speak highly of it. So there's a much bigger batch on its way so yeah guys as soon as it's here or as soon as i have um insight into when it's available we'll we'll let um the best of the less community know um and then from there we'll obviously let the, the running community know in general um but yeah amy how did you find that initial sort of influx of, of orders as soon as the kits arrived it was absolutely crazy like i remember getting a message from you saying the adidas kit is finally here and then all all of a sudden I get pictures of you wrecking all the kit and it looks amazing. Um, and then just, yeah, get all like 90 to 100 orders out ready for the big half weekend with nearly over 100 <laughs> BA runners racing. So we managed we managed to do it. It was amazing to see so many people wrecking the Adidas kit come Sunday. Um, it just shows how teamwork definitely makes the dream work, I guess. <laughs> On that note, let's speak a little bit about the big half. Obviously, um, I took part in it. Amy, I know you were there supporting and thanks very much for that. Um, from a runner's point of view, it was uh, it was an awesome race. I mean, Big Half is always one of the most vibey events of the calendar. It's sort of like the half marathon for London Marathon, pretty much. Um, and yeah, this year we had 104 members, which was just completely wild. And I know you cut, the course comes back on itself a few times and there was just, you know, club mates, wherever you looked, it was insane to see um so many people came up to to us afterwards and said they they love the merch definitely the best dress club as well which, which was cool um and yeah you know i i found that the weather was a bit warmer than ideal but having said that there were some great performances um personally i i went i did it in 68 30 so it was the fastest i'd ever done the big half um, which i was very happy about on some very very tired old marathon legs um, but there were some phenomenal PBs within the club. And I think one of the best parts about that race was after I'd done cool down, as soon as you come out the gates, we had a post um, race meeting point at the Greenwich Tavern pub. And it was literally a sea of blue and white awesomeness. And it was just so cool to be a part of. And, you know, I've done the big half like for the last six times and Best Athletics was only incorporated in the last sort of three, let's say. And I think we, we had like six or seven members the first time and then maybe like 18 or so the next time. So to go to 104 was just mind-blowing. Uh, and yeah, something special for me to see. So how was it from, from your side, from like a supporter's point of view? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same, just a sea of blue and white. As I was, I was at the finish line 
with a GoPro, with my phone, doing double content, just getting so many of the members uh, just finishing. And it was just amazing to see. Like, it was such a good day for it. Maybe a little bit hot for the runners. Um, but yeah, it was, a re- it was really great. And I watched last year. And like Nick said, there was like probably like 18, 20 Best Athletics members. And to reach triple figures, like that's mad. So it was, yeah, it was really great to see. And so inspiring just watching how hard everyone has been training and racing and so many people smashing their PBs, which is really great to see. Such a community. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Thank, thanks for being there supporting and recording. And actually, a lot of the recording finish videos that you got that I put in my weekly vlog of the big half, uh, so many people reached out and asked me if they could send send them that clip because they, they featured in it. So, yeah, good work on that. That's for sure. Okay, so we just recently got back from the best athletics training camp. Uh, we had it in Arundel where we've actually had it before. The weather was beautiful for the beach. Not so good for running. Made made running tougher, but good for training nonetheless. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was such good routes, such good weather, such good vibes, such good people. Um, so yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better week. Amy, I know it was your first ever training camp. Do you want to let us know how you find it um, and if you're going to be going on any more training camps coming up. Yes, it was my first ever experience of a best athletics training camp and I honestly had the best time. It was so wholesome. Everyone was on such a vibe and we just couldn't have been luckier with the weather. Like the sunrise sea swims, all our trail runs, we literally hit the promenade hard um, and everyone just trained really well. Bit of warm weather training, so couldn't have asked for more. Um, and yeah, we've got our next winter camp is going to be on Wednesday, the 1st of November, coming back on Tuesday, the 7th. And we're all going to head off to Lanzarote for a warm weather camp, which is going to be perfect for anyone training for Valencia or spring marathons coming up like London, Manchester, Edinburgh, Rotterdam and Paris. So, yeah, come along. And if you're interested, we have limited slots for camp. So if you're keen, just let me, Dan or Sam know because uh, we're going to be the free running the camp. So, yeah, really looking forward to it, and it'll be really nice for the team to go to Lanzarote, get some winter sun. Okay, so uh, I just want to speak through a little bit of, of my training ahead of Berlin Marathon. So at the moment, it's T-10 minus days until takeoff, and I'm pretty nervous, but I'm also, I think I'm nervous because I know what I'm about to put my body through, but I'm also like excited to have another opportunity and crack at a at a sub 220 um just to recap i went 220 and eight seconds there last year so i'm hoping to go nine seconds faster and honestly i think it's going to be a very 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 tight one once again last year i went in feeling like i was in good shape and i executed a great race and i fell nine seconds short of you know a very bold target that i set for myself so yeah this year i'm just hoping you know it goes even better i'm taking the stuff i've learned from last year into it and i'm hoping to go through halfway a little bit quicker than what i did last year and run you know more equal splits rather than negative splits and oh, what a training block it's been like i've obviously shared my whole journey as as openly and honestly as possible on my uh youtube vlog my weekly vlog but yeah, it's, it's by far been one of the most challenging training blocks. I think, you know, as you can tell, our, our worlds are super busy. And in addition to that, there's another little one in my life. So, you know, getting these things right is all about balance. And, um, you know, the constant juggling act of life, work, family commitments, personal training, friends, all of that. And I feel like I've actually can sit here and honestly say I've done what I, the best I possibly can. 
you know, we don't live professional athletes' lives. We're not professional athletes. So we do the best we can. And I'm giving myself a chance. And come next week, Sunday, um, yeah, I'll be ready. But I'm not going to lie. It's been very, very, very challenging. But I'm super stoked to have gotten through the training. Cool. And then apart from that, um, Amy, it was awesome to catch up with you. Uh, let's see what's in store for the next few months. Good luck for Copenhagen once again. By the time a lot of people listen to this, you would have been done your race and uh, I'm sure they can catch up on how you did. Um, but for the rest of this episode, I'm going to give you a bit of insight into a chat I had with Stephen Scullion. So for those of you who don't know Stephen Scullion, he's an Irish Olympian. He's a sub 210 marathon runner. Um, he ran 209 something at London Marathon during COVID. And prior to that, he ran a 61-minute half marathon. So an absolute beast of a runner. And honestly, just a beast of a human. He's one of the most respected runners out there because he's just so open and honest. And I think a lot of people look to him, you know, for inspiration because he's just honest throughout his journey. And, you know, he often says as quick as he is, like, being fast isn't the be-all and end-all. It's about being the best you that you can be. And having caught up with him, there's so much knowledge that that guy has. And I learned so much from chatting to him and we'll play the rest of uh, the chat for you. And I really, really hope there's some key takeaways because yeah, he's like, when I speak to him, I'm like a sponge, just absorbing all the information that he has to offer. So really good to catch up with him. I hope I can catch up with him sometime soon. I know he was targeting Berlin Marathon, so I hope to see him there as well. But here is my chat with Olympian Steven Scallion. Enjoy. Okay, guys, so today I'm joined by uh, a person that I'm very inspired by. Um, so I'm currently sort of at the sub-elite level, 220 marathoner myself. Um, so I often look at people that are better than me um, and I try and sort of like see what they're doing, try and replicate their training sometimes um, and take little bits and pieces of what I can learn from them. Um, and today I'm joined by Irish Olympian sub 210 marathon runner, Stephen Scullion. Um, what an absolute legend. He just woke up. He's in America at the moment and, and jumped on a call <laughs> with me. So thanks so much for joining me today, Stephen. Yeah, I think two things. One, 220 is pretty fast. I wouldn't call that sub elite. I would say that's really good. <laughs> and, and I do the exact same. I'm always looking at what other people are doing too, <laughs> to try to get better. And so, yeah, not a bad thing. I think that's always a good piece of advice for everybody. It's good to look at people uh, above you and beside you and below you and if you can learn things take it and um, yeah add it to your own train and if it suits for sure for sure thanks i know i'm sort of caught into that category like i feel like a social runner trying to improve every day um and obviously elite i mean there's no exact definition of elite probably somewhere between sub 2 14 13 marathon um i would guess you'd probably argue maybe a bit quicker uh but yeah i'm sort of you know in the gray area just trying to improve uh, but in any case, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, so the Brilliant. first of which is um, I'm based in London and, you know, I've got a lot of uh, family commitments, work commitments here in London, um, growing a new coaching business and club. Um, so I sort of don't have the luxury of, you know, going to altitude for long periods of time. I know, obviously, you know, it's a big sacrifice and for you as well, um, going to altitude. But if I'm not prepared to to go to altitude for, you know, weeks at a time or extended periods of time, um, and I'm, you know, I don't do sort of things like lactate um, testing within my sessions. I see you doing a lot of that. Um, it, you keep it very disciplined, very, you know, more scientific. Um, and the results show for themselves, you know, you're an Olympian. If I'm not doing any of, of that sort of stuff and, you know, just doing my, my weekly routine here in London, 
um, what do you think would be the best way for me to improve, uh, to level up in order to, you know, get closer to, to sort of the likes of you and, and just to try and shave off a few more minutes? Yeah, I think there's probably like two questions within that. So the first would be if you don't have time to get to altitude, like is there anything else you can do or is that what you have to do? When I trained for Rotterdam, like I didn't go to altitude at all. I just decided for four months that um, I, I used to sit at home and, and I'd be planning and planning. And I'd spend all this time on the laptop. Where should I go? How could I make my situation better? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how about you just go do your double run? And then when you come back from your second run, like how about you do the gym stuff that you know that you're supposed to do? And it was like, sometimes we spend all this time thinking that we can improve our situation and, and make it better. And it's like, we're actually skipping the things that we could have just done at home. And so it's like, well, yeah, I can't go to altitude, but like, hey, I could like get an extra massage this week, which would allow like one extra run this week. And like that extra run might trump being at altitude. The other thing on altitude is you can do a sauna, like one or two saunas a week. And that I think if you do a sauna, I don't think I know if you do a sauna for 20 to 30 minutes, two to three times a week, that increases blood plasma. And so altitudes increase in hemoglobin mass, which is super important, but increased blood plasma is also beneficial, which is why sometimes when people go on holiday or they train in the heat or they're getting heat exposure, they like, they find when they come back, they're that little bit fitter. And so you can still, from a physiological perspective, manipulate your blood by doing the sauna stuff or the heat exposure. But I also just think a lot of people are thinking the grass is greener and it wouldn't matter if you started going to altitude, you'd start to go to altitude. And then two weeks later, a month later, three months later, you'd be like, oh, maybe that altitude place is better. Hey, maybe I should go to Kenya because that's where everybody else goes. And sometimes we're just not appreciating sometimes how good the setup we currently have, how it keeps us in a good life balance and things like this. And so I, I had to learn almost in that Rotterdam buildup, I could have gone the altitude, but I just chose, no, like stay where you are, but just get the training done. Go, don't miss the double runs. Don't miss the gym stuff. Don't miss the yoga stuff. Like get it, get it done and do it well. The second answer would be on the lactate testing and stuff. Like, Oh, lactate's really starting to upset me a little bit because not that like this is one of the gold standards, but the more I listen to like, there's a, I think his name's Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld and, and their coach, I think his, his name's Alexander Blue or Alexander Blue, Boo, um, Olav Alec, Alexander Boo. <laughs> He's a beast. This guy's a, this guy's a genius. And every time I listen to this guy, like, he talks about lactates and he talks about using it and how they use it, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess I thought, I genuinely thought lactate was like the be all and end all, like it did not lie. And then the more I listen to this guy, I'm like, well, wow. Like just like everything in life, if you're dehydrated, if you've had certain nutrition, if like your blood's in a strange way, if you're just at altitude. And then I'm like, well, now it just pisses me off because maybe it's not the gold standard because like, actually it's so interchangeable based on, hydration at altitude is really hard to stick to and so my lactate could be different because i'm dehydrated and oh man like so <laughs> what i would say and 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 you know I, i've been trying to do a little bit of this on my youtube or you know even in like the running school thing that i started i'm trying to get people to learn there's other ways to track fitness so lactate testing for me is just a means to see if things are moving forward and if they are great what worked and that's so important not just 
What am I not doing to get the improvements I want? Wow, that was a big jump in 10 days. What did I do that maybe provoked that jump in training? And, and then zoning in on that, being like, whoa, that really worked. So what you can do at home is you can go to a track. You can take example, like you're pretty dialed in. You know that 220 is the goal. And so 220, you can do pretty much like five or six times 2K on a track. And if you're going to go at 220 pace, so that's 640 for 2K, well, then you track back like either probably like 10 seconds per 2K. So you would start at like probably like 720, 710, seven minutes, but so that you're getting to your 640 around about your third or fourth rep. And so this is called, this was the like Stefano Baldini who goes on to win the Olympics. This was his test. And he used to go... 620, 615, 610, 605, six minutes, 555, 550. And he would take lactate and he would take heart rate and he would take rate of perceived effort. And they could literally track and tell what he was going to run for a marathon based on that five or six times 2K. And so that's the way that every like four or five weeks, you can go to the track, you can do, it's still a good session. Anytime you're doing five or six times 2K, that's a good session. And all you're doing is taking probably like 45 seconds, the minute recovery, writing down what was your rate of perceived exertion, RPE, um, and then also writing down what was your sort of max heart rate in that rep, your average heart rate in that rep, and, and you track that over time. And it's very likely that if heart rate's coming down and rate of perceived exertion's coming down, what you're doing is working. You won't have the lactate value, but you have everything else. It's still a very good metric. And it's just helping you learn, is what I'm doing working? Is it not working? How can I move this forward? And anybody can do that. You don't need a track. You could get a wheel. You could go measure, you know, mm -hmm. 2K. The reason they use a track is because every 100 meters, you can check that you're basically not effing up the pace. That's all it's used for. But as long as you track this in the same place, and I would definitely recommend a wheel rather than like, assuming where things are at and it's not really a fair test so um yeah I, I i don't think you need lactate i think it's a really useful value but it's expensive and let me tell you you lactate makes a, makes a mess of a load of sessions sometimes i end up taking two minutes recovery because i'm messing around with the lactometer and i, I like it the battery's dead or the, the, the strip won't go in and it's messy um but yeah it's really most people are just using it to a make sure they're training at the the right intensity and then B, the, the track progression. Heart rate works pretty good. Just know that heart rate has a little bit of a range because of stress and nutrition and again, dehydration. But lactate apparently has the same sort of range. And so, yeah, I would, I would just say, like, if you're not going to use a lactometer, then just slow the likes of the marathon stuff down a little bit. Throw, slow the threshold stuff down. Don't be afraid if you're doing three times two miles to do the first one a lot slower just to make sure that you're keeping that lactate that little mm. bit lower. Mm cool thanks so much so much goodness to take from there i know obviously being you know coach myself working with a lot of athletes is that there's so much data out there um you know that it can become sort of like overbearing and too technical sometimes and we should sure. be always monitoring heart rate now glucose level um you know in yeah. your case lactate um and there's just so many different things um you can measure a big thing that you know uh, is it is a sign but throws a lot of people off is with a Garmin watch um, telling you whether you're productive, unproductive, what your VO2 mm. max is, all this stuff. And um, I often get a message saying, 
I'm feeling fitter than ever. My watch is telling me strained. Uh, you know, should I listen to my watch? This, this, this. And do you know what? All this stuff um, you got to take with a pinch of salt. And it, you, you know what mm-hmm. I find that is when you are moving forward, it is nice to know that the numbers are moving forward with you, but it's not the be all and end all. And I think if we look at, you know, the, the best in the world, the, the sort of Kenyans and Ethiopians, if you look at the way they train, it's super, super basic. Um, and mm-hmm. ultimately there's no massive tricks. It's nice to just know that that stuff's sort of in line. So thanks for that. And yeah, I know a lot of runners actually, you know, have been planning to go to altitude, end up going um, and coming back with sort of altitude sickness, coming back no fitter than they were before. So like you said, I think it is it can be a great training tool, but the grass isn't always greener. Yeah. And utilizing my time here um, is probably, probably the best answer for that. So Thanks yeah. for that. And altitude, like a, a quick not to drag that question out, but like altitude takes time. Yeah. So you have yeah. to learn how to train at altitude, how your body adapts to the altitude, like what not to do at altitude. But not only that, even if even if someone could tell you everything what not to do, even if someone could tell you the exact training that would work for your body at altitude, the benefits are tiny. Like they're tiny. It's not like you're going to go from a three-hour mm. marathon runner to 245. You, you might just run 257 instead of 258.10. And that's if you do it exactly right. It's, it's minuscule. And so people come back from altitude, they drop down to sea level, they go for a run and they're like, wait, what? Where's, all, where, where's the fitness? What, like what? Like what's going on? And it's like, so for most people, it's not going to make enough difference that it's actually worth it. it. We're talking the best in the world using it so that they're, point one of a second quicker over 1500 because that might help them win a, a medal at the olympics if you're if you're a wreck runner or a sub elite runner and you're just looking to be better you literally might miss your family when you're away that person that you go see massage for on a tuesday that you vent all your problems well you'll probably miss them too you could come back worse because you've just missed everything mm. that you're doing and most of the benefits from altitude are coming over time so four months a year for three to five years. And then when you come back, you're like, wow, that was a good investment over three to five years. Not, not necessarily one camp. Yeah. Most people yeah. that benefit from one camp, it's because perhaps they get away from little bits of life stress, work, they take time off work. But if you took time off work and trained at home where you are, you'd probably get better. It's, it's simple. Sure. Okay, cool. And uh, uh, one of the most common questions I get on, on altitude is what is the minimum amount of time you would say to gain that, that actual benefit? Oh man, everything's so controversial. It's supposed to be like 21, 22 days, but then I, I emailed back and forth. People haven't read it already. There's a really good Marius Backen article on threshold training and this sort of stuff. It's, um, it was released when the, the Inca Britsons were doing a lot of threshold stuff and, and supposedly their dad had had a call with this Marius Backen and and then there was this kind of, oh, I didn't call him. And then Marius wrote this article that was like, I think you did. <laughs> and it was this cool article. It was really fun. And um, basically, I emailed back and forth with him. And, and he talked about doing eight-day camps, 10-day camps. And he just maximized. We just talked about like that sort of like lactate testing and stuff. And, and he told me that he used to go for sometimes seven days, sometimes up to 10 days. And he would basically just do threshold training every other day so threshold training easy training threshold training easy training and he would just see it as a real kind of i'm going to use the word intense but that's not correct but it's a real 
it's a it's a block of seven to ten days of just maximizing a lot of really good training is probably what i would say because he because you're not acclimated to the altitude as it's called you have to run a lot slower and so he would run a lot slower but he would be hitting the right effort level every day and he would be getting so much volume done at really good effort which was giving his body a lot of sort of fitness improvement so you know right around thresholds but he was using the lactate test and so he might have ran like instead of run a three minute k at sea level he might have had to run 320 because he's not acclimated it's literally day one but he told me that there's this kind of like when you go to the altitude you're supposed to take the first five to seven days pretty easy that's why they say 21 days because it gives you time to take a bit of time easy still get some training done and get your hemoglobin upwards 21 days that's what it takes but he said he would gain more i did not more as much sometimes by just doing seven or eight days but every other day doing threshold sessions and he would do double threshold sessions every other day for eight days or 10 days whatever way it worked out with the next race in mind the problem with altitude is if you're going to do three weeks and it's going to bring your blood up a little bit but you're going to take four to five days easy on the front end what's better at the end of a three-week period is it better that you've just taken four to five days easy because think about it you've left london you've flown the altitude you're in front remote travel takes something out of you. your dehydration might not be in a good place you're eating in places that you don't normally eat it you've also just missed your tuesday hard session with the club and your friday hard session with the club so by the time you get to saturday you're less fit than you would have been had you left london now in those next two weeks is it possible that you can make up for that lost ground because your hemoglobin will go up a little bit? Maybe, but it's not a guarantee. And that's why even three weeks, I literally would get to Saturday and be like, I'm kind of pissed off because I've now missed my Tuesday session. I've missed my Friday session. And now we're on Saturday and I'm going to do like, a, I don't know, I'm going to do like eight times one minute on, one minute off to break myself into the altitude. And I'd be like, at home, I'd have done two times two mile tempo and 10 by minute hills. I'd have been panting at the top of Richmond Hill, like completely out of breath, dying. And, and so I'd get to the end of the first week at altitude and be like, I think I've lost fitness. I think if I stayed where I was, I'd have been fitter at this point. And then, of course, you've got two weeks where hopefully you can make up for it. And hopefully that little bit of extra hemoglobin or whatever will make a bit of a difference. But it's, it's a complicated area. How long or should I go? Should I not go? I'm not slating altitude by means but just understand there's a lot of things there's a lot of factors that weigh up yeah yeah thanks for putting it to, to perspective um and yeah like we said the grass isn't always green i think a lot of people think to level up altitude is the answer um and it's not always the answer uh but i think you know what your theory on sort of the eight day um threshold work easy day work threshold work easy day work would work well for a lot of the the city goers that you know only have x amounts of leave per year yeah. um you know as a runner you tend to listen to what you want to listen to so i think you'll be like ah let me jump onto that theory and uh go for eight days give it a shot yeah. and see what happens so so just, maybe I'm, just my, tread yeah. very carefully sorry to interrupt you if people are thinking of doing that be very slow so like if you have a way to track maybe it's heart rate definitely heart rate but like if I, if I flew the altitude and I tried to do a threshold session that next day, I mean, instead of running five minute miles, I might have to run 530 for like a 1K rep or a 2K rep. You have to slow that right down. Because if you go to altitude and you do what you think is threshold every other day and it's not threshold, it's actually like 
10K or 5K effort, you're going to make a mess of your entire buildup. You'll be knackered by the end of that week and you won't get those benefits. So the key is really slowing down. And that's even better. You're getting more benefit at a slower pace. Slower pace beats the body up less, more fitness benefit. It's genius. Cool. Cool. So you heard it from Stephen, guys, at least around almost 30 seconds per mile difference for when you get there. I think, you know what, for my next marathon build, uh, which is going to be Berlin, um, I might come spend a few days with you if you don't mind me joining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So so on to the next question. I know um, I see that you you often um, use cold as a form of recovery. Um, there's a lot of research going into that recently. I know you touched based earlier on um, the benefits of sort of 20 to 30 minutes in a sauna, um, especially you know if you don't have the benefits of, of going to altitude. But as far as cold goes um, and you jumping into sort of like, you know, an ice cold river afterwards really to sort of like, you know, freeze the muscles um and stop that lact uh stop the the lactate build in them to help produce stiffness the next day um stuff like that would you say it's very beneficial and would you say for someone that lives in london is it worth me coming back from you know a, a track on interval session um running a cold bath you know going to the shops getting ice putting ice in do you think just a cold bath is good enough or do you think actually you're better off you know just having a protein smoothie and, and spending a bit more time foam rolling what's what's your thoughts on that um I, okay, so there is heaps and heaps of benefits for cold, and I don't, I don't need to go into like every benefit. I can tell you why I do it. Um, and so, sure, there's a recovery benefit, absolutely. Um, every evening, I do 20 to 25 minutes in a, it's kind of like a portable infrared sauna. Um, and then I go straight from the infrared sauna into the, like a cold shower. And at the minute, the cold shower has been like freezing cold. Like it's super, super cold. Um, but I do it, I do it for, I'm going to say two reasons. I do it because it's super refreshing. Maybe there's a couple of reasons. It's super refreshing. It just feels good. Um, and that's exciting. Um, and then I do it because I've been talking to my little brother a little bit more. So I'm just trying to just trying to be a better, bigger brother, you could say. And I'm trying to encourage my little brother to do things that make him a bit more uncomfortable. And so we're all living in this world where we're all super comfortable. We all love sitting at home. We like to sit in. You get home from your training session. It's a lot easier to have a protein shake, sit on the couch, put on Netflix. That's easy, right? And so when it gets tough in the marathon, are you going to like double down and grind a bit? When I ran 209, I was grinding from like mile 11. I was hustling from mile 11, which is scandalous. It pissed me off because not like three weeks before 61 for the half marathon felt easy. And all of a sudden on race day, I'm like, why am I going through in 64? And I'm knackered. I, I didn't even know if I could get to halfway. So these little decisions, these little, I'm going to put myself in a situation that's uncomfortable, whether it helps recovery or it F and doesn't, I don't give a shit. It helps my brain go, I can do that. And so when I told my little brother to start having these cold showers, he could do it for 20 seconds. And then he's at two minutes. And I went, hey, Dylan, how did it make you feel? I was like, were you proud of yourself? He was like, and he's all smiling. And he's like, yeah, I was proud of myself. And so there's various reasons to do it. A, do it because you bloody can. It's not fun. It's not easy, but it gets fun. It gets like, it's kind of like what I do is I, I literally last night and I haven't done it for a couple of days. And, and this is what happens over a couple of days. You start to like, you're just not as callous to it anymore. And so I do my sauna and when I'm in the sauna, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this cold shower because I'm roasting hot. 
And as I get closer to the bathroom and as I start to turn that cold shower on, I'm like, I don't know about this, Stephen. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I don't know if I like this idea anymore. And then I just go five, four, three, bang, and I'm already in it. And it's that simple. And it's, it's just a mind over matter. And, and this is so key for people, right? On race day, you can build your fitness and build your fitness and build your fitness. And you can make your personal best for the marathon almost easy, right? And so if you get fitter and fitter and fitter and fitter and fitter, of course, your personal best is going to be easy. But there's two ways to get better. You can get fitter and fitter and fitter, but you can also learn to push yourself more and more and more and more. And if you're improving both, the reason I was able to go and run 209 wasn't just because I had built the fitness to run 209. I had also built this ability to push myself way beyond what I was ever like capable of pushing myself. And I didn't think that applied to marathon because I thought with the marathon, it's all about fuel and it's all about this sort of stuff. No, what I averaged in terms of a heart rate on the day of London Marathon was scandalous compared to what I would normally average. And so on the day of London Marathon, I was just able to push myself way harder than I'd ever been able to push before and hold it. So if you've done the training, now it doesn't work if you haven't done the training. If you've done the training, they allow you to get to the finish line, you'll get to the finish line. And that was because every Sunday we used to run anything from 16 to 22 miles probably as hard as i ended up racing at, at or on on race day and with wow. every sunday that had went by i just realized hey you were able to push yourself a bit harder today hey a heart rate that felt hard work a week ago didn't feel that hard today and so two things were happening fitness was going up how hard i could push myself was going up and for how long but that all starts from those little details the, the cold shower, the cold bath, amazing for recovery. Look it up, you know, Google it. You can Google that all day, but don't ignore the fact that you're learning to teach your body not to be as comfortable and expose yourself to things that just aren't as fun, aren't as comfortable. And you just become callous to this idea that I don't, I don't need fun and comfortable. Mo Farah's coach, Gary Locke, Paula Radcliffe's husband, we're on the track, we're doing a session. I try to drop out. We're, we're, I'm following the bike. We're about 1,200 meters into a mile rep. And I say, Butchie, take over. You're going to have to take the bike. Gary turns around and goes, don't you dare. And I'm like, ah. and, and, and then all of a sudden, we're still running. And we get to the end of the rep. And he goes, Skull, like, what the F was that all about? And I was like, Gary, I'm a marathon runner. Like, this is track stuff. Like, I'm used to being comfortable in the marathon. And he goes, he says, you think Paula was comfortable when she ran the world record? And he says, that's your problem, Scully. You just always want to be comfortable. And I was like, dude, like that was a bit harsh. <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. He was suggesting that to run these amazing times, you, you're not comfortable. It's not easy. And that's the problem. People move to the marathon sometimes because it's a little bit easier on the psychology. Not when you want to run 209, it's not. It's just hard. You can just keep going. For sure, for sure. Do you know what? That's one of the things I've tried to to change this block specifically um, is to try and snap out of my comfort zone. I think, you know what? Mm. I love getting comfortable in a run and uh, just zoning out. And uh, I think a lot of the, you know, the other runners out there do as well. So constantly I've thrown in, you know, hard, like 5K races, basically 10K races throughout to stay sharp, just to snap out of my comfort zone. So sort of, you know, a cold bath would sort of have that effect as well. It's kind of snapping you out of your comfort zone. You know, running is so much in the mind. 
um, that when you do sort of do those things, you're becoming mentally uh, tougher as you're doing them as well. So yeah, definitely something I'll, I'll look to incorporate. I know it's an extra, you know, 10 minutes in the day, but it's 10 minutes worth finding, especially when, when the margins are so tight. So, so thanks for that. Um, okay. Last question. Um, I ran 220 twice last year. The first time was uh, in Rotterdam, 220 and 59 seconds. Um, I then managed to improve on it at Berlin Marathon where uh, Kipchoge set the world record. I went sure. uh, 220 and eight seconds. Um, mm. I actually bumped into you at the airport before coming back to London, was on the same flight as you. Uh, you could tell it was sort of a bittersweet moment for me. I was buzzing with the PB, but I was gutsly <laughs> disappointed. Um, I've basically trained my ass off again uh, to get into shape. I need to find nine seconds this time. You know, I want it more than ever. Please give me some words of wisdom or, or sort of how you think I'm going to find this one. I know when I spoke to you at at the airport, I told you I went through halfway in 7021 and I did negative splits and was, you know, feeling all proud of myself. You kind of mm. said you don't think that was the most efficient way to run the race. I should have maybe gone a bit harder. So in this one, I'm planning to go a bit harder. I'm planning to go through halfway sort of a minute quicker, you know, 6920-ish. Um, and and see what happens, but yeah, very keen to get your thoughts. Please uh, help me help me crack this magical sub two twenty for me. Yeah, I, I think like in, I, I think the the I think the advice that day after Berlin was almost. I, I read something on um, a message board forum years ago, and it and it was about why an athlete hadn't broke a world record in the ten k, and it was essentially the the pace had gone off at. I think 66 is for example and they the the pace then slowed to 68 per lap for a couple of laps and the coach was basically saying that even though that pace had slowed by a few seconds per lap the athlete didn't gain anything back it wasn't like a rest period it wasn't like okay now that you've saved 10 seconds here for those four laps well, now in the final few laps, you're going to be able to go 12 seconds faster because you you got all your breath back, basically. And, and so that day that we spoke, it, it was clear that you had gone through in probably a pace slower than perhaps you'd have been capable of that day because you said it felt very easy and, and you were just kind of running that pace to have some company and stuff like this. And, and so sometimes we go that little bit slower but the energy expenditure is the same as what it would have been had we been going a touch faster. And so maybe had you gone through in 6950, for example, in terms of how much fuel and energy you had to get to the finish line, it might have been the exact same. It might have been like psychologically a little bit harder to stay on that sort of like harder pace. But we're talking about energy right now. So you might have literally got the halfway with the exact same amount of energy that you burned by being like 30 seconds slower. It's also the marathon, even with a negative split, which is awesome, it, you still get tired. And so like your body still gets tired because it's not just about energy. It's not just about emotions. It's all about physical too. And so sometimes we sort of hang back and we think, oh my God, I'm going to be able to pick it up. And then we can't because our legs are physically got tired. And so I think that's a good strategy. I, I don't know that I'd be gone. That seemed quite aggressive there to be gone like a full minute quicker, like that 69.20. But I think you just shoot for a rain. You just see the gun goes, you get out there, you get out there, you get into sort of a rhythm. You see if you can find a groove that kind of works around you. And you, you, you've just got a range. You've got like between 69.30 and 69.45, for example. It's, it's, just a, it's just a loose, like this is just where I need to be. And so this is where I want to be. The, the thing I'm going to say before you go on to like race plan is 
don't underestimate how much joy and value this trying to break 220 has brought to your life. And you're like, I really want to crack it. It's so important. But imagine you cracked it three times ago. What would you have done for the last year and a half, two years? And so like, I think that's where people sometimes like, if you go to this race and, and you, you know, you, you crack it open, blah, blah, blah you're going to have a massive gap in your life the, the day that that race is over. You're going to be like, oh, shit, well, what do I do now? Like, do you go for 218? Do you go for 215? Do you go for 210? The goalposts have to move, but don't underestimate the value that this has brought to your life just pursuing this, just waking up, having that, like, drive to want to achieve something. Something that I'm not trying to hurt you here, but, like, who the F cares if, like, you were at 220 or not? Like, I ran 209. It doesn't mean anything. It's just the time. But don't underestimate that value of having something really to go by. In terms of actually breaking it, you're going to have to be very, it's going to get to a part of the race where seconds become so valuable. When I was, when I was out there training for Berlin myself, where we raced, I was using, a, and I'm not sponsored, and this is not a, anything like that. I was using what was called the stride foot pod. And I noticed that little slips in like psychological little slips if I just if I just lost a little bit of interest for a little bit or I might have been doing a 25k hard run a 30k hard run and I find that there'd be periods within like let's say from 18k to 24k where they track par which is really useful and if I was going to sit down with a coach after that session he'd say to me hey look at what happened here from k18 to k24 he'd be like you lost 12 seconds over that period and it's because you let your par come down to like instead of maybe 360 you let it come down to 352 and that was just a psychological switching off but like i said you don't get anything back it doesn't you're you're still using the same like energy fuel and so once you once you get through halfway and then once you get up to upwards towards like 30k don't do this you can't yo-yo you can't go like 324 for that K. Oh shit. I'm going to have to go 316 now. That 316 will F you up. That's like you heavy revving. That's you like going and you're burning too much fuel. That 324 didn't save fuel, but that 316 will burn more fuel. And they talk about it in cycling. They talk about like your your fuel and your your like what what you've got your energy reserves is a big bag of rice and every time you heavy rev a bit like that you're just sticking a knife in that bag of rice and it just drains faster and so you really want to be just making sure that you're dialing into it might not be bang on 320 bang on 320 because one might be a bit downhill one might have a bit of a tailwind but make sure that that sort of stride do such a good job with it that it's just a very consistent par but you basically were able to hold that par. So in the park, some of my Ks would be 306 at 360 par. The next one might be 312 at 360 par. But I knew I was sustaining a very stable sort of like effort level, you could say. And that's where once you get to like K26, K28, it's easy to just switch off a little bit. And you need, you need to almost every K be like, bang are you still awake come on we're switched on here let's keep going and that's going to save you those eight seconds that you lost probably perhaps at some point came down to getting your drink taking your jolly old time just just a little lapse in concentration the other eight seconds probably could have came from making sure you know the course and knowing where on the course you want to be 
So knowing that at the next, like I did Houston marathon, I didn't do this. I didn't look up the course. I had to run down the middle of these massive highways. And when I would get to the end of the highway, that's when I would know if we were going right or going left. I genuinely didn't know. And we would get all the way. In America, these highways are effing huge. And I'd get literally to like maybe 40 meters to go. And I'd be like, okay, we're going right. And I think how much time I would have saved if I was hugging the right side of the road. And when we got to the end of the street, I just nipped around to the right. And so that's a big one. A big one is to know your course, know which side of the road you want to be hugging. Don't just follow the crowd. Don't just follow what they're doing. They might be right, but what if they're wrong? And so you make sure then you're literally diagonaling across a highway or you're maybe taking a corner too tight. Or there's just ways you can make up little bits of time in that regard. But I think the most important one is having those little just whatever it is that snaps you back on. Maybe it is every time you pick up a drink. Maybe when you pick up a drink, you go, okay, Nick, let's back to work, back focus. And that doesn't mean you pick the pace up. It just means that you hold that good effort because those little drops in concentration just cost you time. If that's hundred percent. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty much going to, like we said, take it slightly more aggressive through halfway, but the most important mm-hmm. thing is to not lose concentration. Um, and every time I, I might veer off losing concentration. I'll think about that snap back on it. And uh, I promise you, if I do crack 220, I know it's Mm. just a time at the end of the day. You know, no one goes to the gates of heaven and and gets judged on their marathon time. (laughs) But to me, I feel like it's more than a time. (laughs) Um, Having, having, you know, eat, breathe, sleep, uh, really believing that I could do it. So yeah, if I, if I crack it, it'll, it'll be much more to me than, than just the time. But at the end of the day, it is just a time. And, and if I do, then I'm definitely going to buy you a Guinness when you're back in London, um, when you're able to, to have a few. Um, but yeah, on that note, good to catch up with you. All the best for your training and um, looking forward to what's to come. Yeah, look, thanks a lot. For I enjoyed that. Cheers, champ. Bye-bye now.